0: We're going to be in James, uh, so if you have your Bible, turn to James chapter 4 with me. Uh, I don't know how things work, if they're going to put it on the screen, and so they are. They're going to put stuff on the screen. Uh, so if you don't have your Bible, just take your glasses out, your spectacles like duty. Uh, that way he can't hit them, he laughs on so you can't see the... I'm, I'm getting there myself, don't worry, it's, I've, I've started noticing that. But, um, <laughs> so James is where we're going to be. Um, as I was reading through James and getting ready to come and speak to you guys, there's this theme that kept ringing in my, in my ears. Um, you guys have heard it before, and I want you to say this with me. Uh, I'm going to say this, and I want you to say it. Love God, love people, and you fulfill every commandment of the Bible. That's what we're going to look at tonight, loving God, loving people, and then we satisfy God when we do that. Uh, we're going to see how James walks us through this, these passages of Scripture. Um, I'm only going to take about an hour and 20 minutes. So if you, I'm totally just showing It's all right, man. He, he, he's like, what? I'm out. Uh, no, it's a lot, much shorter than that, 20 minutes, maybe. Um, but anyway, so you guys, let's pray, and then we're going to hop into this, and we're going to get going. God, thank you for your word, for just how you continue to, to teach us. Lord, things that were written hundreds and hundreds and and in cases thousands of years ago you use those things those words to still penetrate our life words that still have weight that words that still have meaning lord things that aren't empty and that go out of style but father these are messages that still ring true for us today oh god please meet us here change our hearts let us see you more clearly so that we can glorify you we love you we pray that you're honored tonight in this time and we ask it in jesus name amen all right so james i'm sure at this point ryan's given you a lot of context so we're just going to skip right into the good stuff we're going to get right to the meat of this uh james really is still kind of attached to an idea that takes place in chapter three now let me pause there for a moment you know that the chapters and stuff were not in the bible um, those are things that we've put in there. Um, this letter from James is just its just one letter from the beginning to the end. Um, as we have gotten a hold of Scripture, when I say we, I mean mankind, we have gone through there and we've sectioned off certain portions of it. Okay, in this section, James is talking about this. And in this section, James is talking about this and so forth and so on. So wh- I say that to say this, that although we're jumping into chapter 4, there's still some thoughts of chapter 3 that's there. We're not going to go back and revisit those, but you know in chapter 3, he talked about wisdom coming from above. In other words, wisdom is from God. So, still looking at wisdom, uh, we're, we're looking for wisdom here. So, he asked this question in verse 1 of chapter 4. He said, What, what causes quarrels, uh, what causes fights, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. James was a very prominent person in the church, and without getting into too much of the church history, um, as Christianity, what we know it today, was coming on the scene uh, pretty, pretty relatively soon, right after the death of Christ. Christianity starts spreading across this region of the world um, over over in Israel and in all this this area as it did there was some, there was some fighting that took place, some, some bickering and some quarreling that took place because the Jews had their certain set of beliefs, and Jesus was Jewish, and he was the Messiah, the fulfillment and all this stuff. But so as that was taking place, they believed in Jesus Jesus, but some of these Jews had this mindset of it's, it's not just by faith, because that's, that's the new message that Paul was teaching. It's not just by faith, but they also said it's by faith and works. And I, and I love the bumper that Ryan showed before that, because James is not about not just faith, but if you have faith, then you'll have works. See, your works aren't what save you, but if you are saved, then it's just natural that there's going to be a certain type of lifestyle that you have certain works that you're going to want to do. They're just the visible thing that's taking place. Well, they were getting this theology mixed up a little bit in this time because they were saying, as Paul, which was a big church planner in this time, um, Paul with with Silas and some different folks like that, Barnabas, were traveling all over this region of the world, all along the Mediterranean and stuff, and they were planning churches for, for Christ. As they were doing this, when they would leave these regions, some of these Jewish people, which we call them Judaizers, would come through and say, hey, what Paul said is right, but there's more things that you have to do. You have to have, you have, to have circumcision. You have to have all of these Jewish uh, works in your life. That's the best way to sum it up. So what that means is there was some bickering. There was some fighting, some quarreling that was taking place along them. So he's writing this letter in James, and he says, what is it that causes these things among you? Is it not that your desires are at war within you? Uh, and so it was much more than just theology. There was just fighting that was taking place. Now, that's easy for us to, here's a big word, contextualize. In other words, ask what does that mean then and how does that fit for us today? That's easy for us to understand because are, are there still fights that take place at your school? Or is there still arguing and bickering maybe among your family and friends and stuff? So that's something that we see and we're like, man, this really happens to us every day. Why? Because most of it is rooted in pride. See, you, you know the Bible was not written in English, right? The Bible was written in three languages, portions of it. You, you've got Hebrew, Aramaic, in the Old Testament you've got Greek. And I think there's a little bit of Aramaic in the Greek too. I mean the Old Testament too, I believe. Um, but so those, those are the three primary languages that the Bible was written in. And I don't know if any of you guys speak any other languages. Does anyone speak another language fluently? Okay. All right. So you know, okay, you guys. So you know that you lose some things in translation, right? It doesn't translate very equally. So that's part of what happens here. But as we look at this, when we go back to some of the original language, things really start to make sense. Case in point is this. What causes fights among you? He says this. Is it not this, that your passions... That comes from a Greek word that where we get this word called hedonism. Hedonism has to do with your lust, your passions, your desires, all of this, this prideful, sinful way of life. We see it here in verse 1, but we also see it in verse 3. He says, you ask and do not have because you ask wrongly to spend it on your what? Your passions. That same word. Those two words are connected. In other words, why is there fighting among you? Because you're selfish. God, people, and who comes after that? Me. Follow this thought process for us. If we believe that God is awesome, then, and we believe that, that God takes care of me, I don't have any wants, because God is going to fulfill all my wants, then I'm going to focus on worshiping God, and then I'm going to focus on serving Him by serving other people before I serve myself. Because why do I need to serve myself if I truly believe that God has my best in, his, in, his, in, in, in my life, right? So I don't, I'm not going to have wants, but there's other folks that may not believe that. So as we worship God, we do that by serving other folks, showing acts of kindness and love and things to them. Sometimes we start to put our desires before those things. I don't want to do this. I just want to sit at home and eat ice cream, or I want to I don't want my sister to have this. I want that. So that's where fights take place. It's from selfishness. That's what he's talking about here. He says, "You ask and do not receive because you ask it you ask wrongly." Now, okay. Why would someone it says here, "You do not have because you do not ask." And at the end of verse 2. You do not have because you do not ask. So, if you want something, what should you do? ask that's pretty simple right but james is saying you don't have because you don't ask so that leads a big question why were they not asking false why would the people not ask what pride okay and that's a good thought let me back that up one more time and, and say this i haven't clear james is writing to the church uh, you know, you guys talked about that in verse 1 of chapter 1, that he's writing to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. He's writing to Christians. So, but, so sometimes people that aren't Christians don't ask if they don't know God. But James is implying these folks do. Yes, ma'am? Mm, when you bring your sinful life before a holy God, God will not give you the sinfulness of your heart. He'll start to change your heart. And sometimes people don't want that they don't want their sin to be brought out into the light. They don't want their, their, their desires and their, their sinful desires and things that they want because they're, they're, they're selfish. They don't want those things brought out, so of course they're not going to ask God for those things because when you confront God with your life, God starts to turn your life around. It's a process that a big word we see use called sanctification. That's a big seminary word. That just means that God, over time, your life changes. Now, Does that happen to you physically? So you still look the same that you did when you were born. So have you changed? Absolutely. The physical is always going to give us a picture of the spiritual. Because because why? Because the spiritual is the one that made the physical. So you're always going to see the fingerprints of God all over physical stuff. You can't get away from it. Nature out there. Romans says that we're without excuse when we see nature because it has the fingerprints of God all over it. When you look at your life and you start to understand what a journey looks like and how the process of change looks like, and that if I'm gonna if I want to continue to change spiritually over time, uh, then I've got to be with God because I'm going to physically change over time. All of those things give us patterns of God because God's the one that created all this stuff. So yes. You change over time just like you do spiritually. It doesn't happen overnight. None of you, when, when, you're, when you were born and you are a little bitty baby, none of you started walking right away. Probably at the earliest, you might have started walking about nine, maybe ten months. But pr- I'd say probably the average is about one year old is when everyone started walking. Your life with Christ, it takes time for you to change as well. You have to continue investing in your life and doing things that we'll talk about in a moment because that's the way that you continue to change. Same thing that's happening here. If you you bring your life before God and you bring the desires of your heart to God, God is eventually going to do one of two things. Change your heart or change. Start to, start to, as your heart starts to align for him and his glory, he may give you some of those things. What does that look like? God, I want a new car. Why? I just think that, that cool candy apple red Corvette is pretty stinking nice. I'd like to have that Corvette. Is that selfish? Is that for God's glory? Selfish. But if you wake up one day and you're like, God, please bring someone into my life today that I can share the gospel with and then all of a sudden you're sitting at lunch at the table and somebody meanders over to the table and they sit down in front of you and they just happen to bring up the conversation of spiritual things start asking you questions about church you start to realize immediately that oh my goodness God heard my prayer is he answering that prayer and if so why yes why because it's more kingdom focused you're starting to align your heart with God this is not what was going on here See, these people were being selfish, not selfless. And that's what we have to get to in our life. We have to get to a point to where we're selfless. That's why it's God, others, and us. Love God, love people, everything else works out. All of the 619 or 17, I can't ever remember, Old Testament Pharisaical Commandments, that we have in the Bible. If you love God and if you love people, you'll meet every one of them. If you love God and you love people, you'd never steal from anyone. If you love God and you love people, you'll never take God's name in vain. If you love God and you love people, you would never intentionally kill someone without just cause. So that's how all this stuff works. If you love God and love people, you're just naturally going f- to fulfill all the commandments. These folks weren't doing that. He was saying that they were... They were um, they were living worldly. They were selfish. They were doing things for their, for their own passions. And then he says, you ask and do not receive because you've asked wrongly to spend it on your passions. So we've got a group of folks that were. not You've got some folks that were. Why did he not give it to them? Because they were asking wrong. So that they can spend it on their own passions. That word spend is pretty cool. Um, that word spend basically means this. How many of you guys get an allowance right now? Only the preacher's kids. Okay, that's good. (laughs) Apparently, you guys are the only ones that make enough money. No. None of you guys get an allowance. You get an allowance. All right. Everybody raise your hand. Okay, I just want to make sure that you guys could hear me. (laughs) I mean, you know. So, uh, you can put your hands down. I'm sorry. This is not Simon Says. You can just put it down. Or you can scratch your head. No, I'm just joking. So, (laughs) now everyone's scratching their head. But my point is this is that. When you start working, I'll just say this. The adults in the room are getting ready to be, I know this. When you start working and you start earning your own money, you're going to understand what it costs to buy certain things. But when you don't, and your mom and dad, you're just like, hey, I want those new pair of kicks. And they're like, okay, boom, there they are. You're going to go out and you're going to scratch them up. You're going to get them dirty and all that stuff. You're not going to clean them off every night. And stuff. Why? Because you didn't spend anything. You have no idea the value of those things. But when you take your, your money that you've saved up for for years and years and years, and you get that 100 dollars, or 120 dollars, however much it is you spend on shoes, and you buy those things, when you walk outside, you're going to be like this. And then when you get some dirt on, "Oh man, Dad you know you're going to start rubbing those things off. Why? Because you know the value of that. That's the problem with these folks. He says what? That you ask and you do not receive because you've asked wrongly to spend it on your passions. In other words, they have no idea what it costs, the passions and the sinful and prideful life that they're living. They have no idea what it's costing them. But when we do understand that cost, we try our best to keep our life focused on God and what He's doing. Because when we start to understand the price that Jesus has paid for our wrongdoings, oh man, whoa. God, I'm so sorry I did that. I agree, that is sinful. But they were out for other things. And in verse 4, James says some interesting things to the group here. He says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is empty? With God, Separation. With God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy to God. Interesting that he used the word adulteress. Now, depending on who you read, commentators are all over the place on this, but the large bulk of them agree that the use of this word is a feminine word. Now, I know the King James, if any of you guys are old school and you got the King James, it says adulteress or adulterer. Uh, like my man over here, uh, rocket proud man, go retro. But so, so you, you know, the King James says you adulteress or adultery. It uses both the masculine and the feminine. But have you ever? Well, no, you probably haven't. So let's consider for a moment why James used what I believe also is the feminine form of that term and uses the word adulteress. Why? When primarily his audience is men. Why would he use a feminine word to describe men? Large group of men. Thoughts? What? The church. And the church is what? The bride of Christ. He's talking to the church. The bride. Jesus died for his bride the church. Not the building, but you. You are the cornerstones of the church. If you call yourself Christian, then you are a part of the church. You are part of the thing that is considered to be the bride of Christ. How does this work? All right, I'm married to Suzanne. Um, And so let's say that Suzanne... I thought that was my phone. That would have been more embarrassing than it is for the person whose phone it really was. Um, But so... Whose phone was that? I'm just joking. But so the adulteress. I'm married to Suzanne, and we are considered one in the eyes of God. But let's say that some other little honey over here starts catching my eye. And so what do I do? I, like, I start spending time with her, and then our relationship goes farther than it should, and we start acting like married people. So what does that make me? An adulterer. That's what we're talking about here. As the church, we are set apart for the work of God. We belong to God through Jesus. So when we are in that covenant relationship with God through Christ, and all of a sudden, we start seeing that fine thing that the world has to offer, drugs, alcohol, uh, gluttony, uh, whatever, sexual immorality, all those things, and we start to get mixed in in those things, what am I doing You're an adulterer in the same way that you are in a marriage relationship. That's why he says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world, spending time in a relationship that's not healthy with the world, spending time with them is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy to God. So in other words, you're either with the world or you're with God. There's no in-between. Now, and here's where most of us try to live. And believe me when I say this, I've been a Christian for 20 plus years now. Yeah, uh, been in the ministry for about 15 years. So in 20 plus years, you know where my struggle is if I'm being real. Right in here. Because there's such a struggle with things that are going on in the world to full surrender and obedience to what Christ wants me to do it's a part of a journey that when I used to be in the world and I'm reborn and I'm given a new birth, there's a process to where I go to where I'm very faithful and obedient to what God asked me to do. It's the process of what? We said it a minute ago, sanctification. It's the change that's going to happen in my life over time. So if this speaker over here is the world and this is God, and then if I'm on a process and a journey to where I'm journeying to God through spiritual disciplines like memorizing scripture, prayer, reading the Bible, um, uh, uh, journaling, all these things. What is it that I'm doing? I'm getting closer to God. How's my relationship with the world going? I'm getting farther away. Well, that brings us into what he says here. Um, He he says a few things in verse 5. He says, do you suppose... It is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell with us. The Holy Spirit that he's made to dwell within you, he yearns jealously over those things. But he says, but he gives more grace, therefore it says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So in this journey, what am I supposed to do? If, if I've been hung up in pridefulness, and sinfulness, and I'm going to catch my notes up because I'm way off my notes and it doesn't matter, Um, but how am I going to, how am I going to repent of the lifestyle that I've lived, the selfish lifestyle I've lived, where I focus on me, I don't focus on God, I don't focus on other people, but I, I, I focus on what is it that I want in this world. I want to focus on the stuff that makes me happy and me happy alone. How do I get away from that? It's called repent. In other words, we turn from that, and we turn from that, and we start to journey towards something else. There's a process that we do, and James starts to talk about this process. First is you have to submit. Now, and that is a tough word for us to understand today because that's a word that we have taken, and we have ripped it up and turned it over and made it to mean something that we don't, we, we don't want it to mean. Case in point, talk about submitting in a marriage. People get really, really cranky really fast. Anytime I do marriage counseling, I do a lot of weddings, so when I do pre-marriage counseling, I always, when we're talking about submitting to one another, wives, submit to your husbands, as, as, you know, all that. When we get to that point, I bring my wife in. Now, many of you guys know my wife. She's very type A, very smart, very intellectual, but to listen to that woman talk about what biblical submission looks like People are in awe because we don't think of it that way anymore. It's not that Bob has his finger on Suzanne and I keep her pen down. And when she's like, hey, 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 hey," woman, get in the kitchen. That's not what it's like at all. I'd be dead. I would have broke limbs and they'd throw me in the water without arms and legs. You know what they'd call me? The same thing they call me now. That's exactly right. So, but my point is this, is that that's not what it's like. We are in a covenant relationship God formed woman, not from our feet, not from our head, but from our rib. That's an old church thing. But what it means is that he formed her from our, as our companion. Both men and women are made in the image of God and equal in the eyes of God, whether you're, you're Jew or Greek, male or female, all that. That's talking about salvation. But in a marriage relationship, girls, listen to this. Your boyfriend had never, ever, 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 ever asked you to submit to him. That is poor theology. You don't submit to your boyfriend because you're under the lordship and the authority of your dad. And it's not until you are married that you come and you are a part of his family. Any guy that asks you to submit to him, run away from that relationship because it is horrible theology. You only submit to one another in a marriage relationship. Why? Because that's the only place it works. Submitting is one of those things that we get so wrong. But that's the first steps of repentance. We have to submit. It looks a lot like this. And actually, I had a a very horrible CrossFit workout today, so I'm not going to get on my knees. They're sore. Uh, But but on your knees, and your hands up, submitting. Now, it's a picture that we see on a battlefield in one of two ways to where I willingly understand who the victor is going to be and I want to be on his team so I submit to the to that commander of that army and I am like, I want to be on your side that's one way or the other way is if I fought and I fought and I fought and I battled and battled and battled and at the end of the war in defeat I finally do this that's what it's called when you go to when you when you die and you're in hell and you finally submit to the lordship of god but it's too late at that point but when we do it willingly on this side of death in our life while we're living it looks like i willingly give up my life to you because i know that your way is best for me everybody will submit to god one day do it before you die i hope that god opens up your eyes before that day comes submit your submit yourselves to god second is this resist the devil and he will flee from you and then i'm going to couple these next two together and then come near to god and he'll come near to you the resisting of the devil coming near to god as i'm getting closer to god the devil can't be in the presence of god any of those things can't be in the presence of god so what does that mean that i'm away from those things i used to mountain bike a lot and here's a funny story about mountain biking If you're going down a trail and you see an obstacle coming up over here, you're like, oh boy, there's a rock. Don't hit the rock. Don't hit the rock. And I stare at the rock. What do you think I'm going to do? 99.9% of the time, what am I going to do? I'm going to run over that rock and wreck. In the whole way, for the last 100 yards, I'm like, oh man, there's a rock up there. Don't hit the rock. Don't hit the rock. But what do you think is going to happen if I'm aware of the rock, but I keep my eyes on the trail? What am I going to do? I'm going to stay on the trail. If you wake up every day, and you say, whatever sin it is that entangles you, gossip. Lord, today, I'm not going to gossip. I'm not going to gossip once. Lord, you are, you're the seed of all wisdom. I'm going to walk out of this bedroom because I've been spending time. It's implied that you're spending time in the morning praying and reading Scripture. I'm not going to gossip. I'm not going to gossip. And the first thing that happens when you walk through the doors at school, what are you going to do? You're going to gossip. But instead, what if instead of keeping your eyes on that obstacle, you said, Lord, today... I want to follow you wherever you take me. God, you show me along the way. I want to keep my eyes on kingdom things. I want to think about whatever is right, pure, noble, holy, all of those things. What do you think is going to happen at the end of the day? Maybe when you're reflecting on how your day went, you're going to say, oh my goodness, I didn't gossip once today. It's about perspective. Where's our focus? We have to submit our lives to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from us, And then he says, uh, 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 come near to God and he'll come near to you. And then a a few more things. We're almost done at the the second part of verse 8. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double mind. Cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. In other words, in this process, there is action that you need to take. This is not what a relationship with the Lord looks like. Um, I can't find a recliner, but just kind of sitting back like this. That is not the posture. The posture is one of action. If I want to continue to, what was the last thing we talked about? Come near to God. If I want to come near to Him, there's some actions that have to take place. Wash my hands and purify my heart. In other words, whatever it is that I'm doing that's bad, stop doing it. Stop it. And then when I... Also, as I stop doing the bad things, I need to start doing godly things. Remember, I didn't say good things; godly things, because good is subjective. What do godly things look like? Read my Bible. Pray. Attend youth group. You're here. Attend church. Memorize scripture. Meditate on the things that you read. If you as you're reading the Bible every day, meditate, and then share that stuff with others. People are like, I don't have the answers. God didn't ask you to have the answers. He just said to go and tell. Tell them what? What's going on in your life? What you read that morning? What God's doing in your life? What youth group was like the night before? What Sunday night, what Sunday was like? That's all that we're talking about. You don't have to be a scholar or a theologian to go and to witness about what God is doing. Some of the most on-fire folks for the Lord are your peers. Childlike faith. Wash your hands and purify your hearts. He's taking this literally right out of Isaiah, where Isaiah's talking about sin and all this stuff. Um, he says, Isaiah uh, um, chapter 1 verse 15 says this, Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourself clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight and stop doing wrong and learn to do right. Stop doing bad stuff. Here's what I tell every athlete that I have the opportunity to be around, whether it's on college or high school levels with FCA. If you're where you're supposed to be, doing what you're supposed to do, when you're supposed to do it, you're going to stay out of trouble 99.9% of the time. You're going to get in trouble when any of those three things aren't met. You're not where you're supposed to be, guess what? You're going to get in trouble. You're not doing the things that you're supposed to be doing, guess what? You're going to get in trouble. Your mom and dad say, hey, go clean your room. I don't want to clean my room. I'm going to sit around. I'm going to sneak out. I'm going to play video games or whatever. I'm going to get on social media. I'm going to like, scoop around on the internet late at night. What's going to happen? I'm not cleaning my room. not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm certainly not where I'm supposed to be. So what's going to happen? I'm going to get in trouble. Simple. The Christian life is complex. Don't get me wrong, but it's so simplistic. Love God. Love people. Man, you're, you're going places. When you're doing those things... Your life is going to be marked like James is, when you realize that there's all this sin that's going on in your life, when you cleanse your heart hands uh, uh, and you purify your hearts, this is what your life's going to be like. He says, "Be wretched and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy turned to gloom. It's going to go back to that thing. When you realize the weight of your sin, remember my sinful desires, I'm spending you know, my stuff on that freely because I don't really have the value of the cost. When you start to catch, capture the value and the cost of what it's costing someone, sin will always cost you and somebody else. It's never an isolated thing. Never an isolated thing. Read that. Well, what if I'm in my room late at night and I'm looking at stuff I'm not supposed to look at? You're warping the image of your future husband or wife and you're warping yourself and you're stealing from somebody On the internet, sin will always harm you and somebody else. When you start to see that, it causes you to it causes you to weep. It causes you to to mourn. Um, It causes you to uh, uh, to to to, to, your laughter will turn will be turned to mourning, and your joy be turned to gloom. You start to realize this, and what's the natural thing that starts to happen? You begin to humble yourselves. What does humble mean? It means that you start to think of yourself lowly, lowly, and lowly. Wow, that hurts. And then as you humble yourself, the physical picture that starts to take place is this is a spiritual application that you're doing. You're lowering yourself lower and lower and lower because you are aware that you don't have the, the, the authority to stand in the presence of the Almighty God, and when you're in this posture, what does it say that God's gonna put his finger on you and hold you down? No, you submit, what's he gonna do? He's gonna exalt you. As you get into that state of mind and your heart, it says right here that what is he gonna do? If you humble yourselves before the Lord, he will exalt you, he will make you rich in the kingdom. I don't mean that he's gonna give you things and stuff like that, Don't, don't misunderstand what I mean by rich. But he's going to lift you up and he's going to exalt you. In Exodus 14, 14, it says this, that, that the Lord will fight for you. You just have to be silent. That's part of that humility. As I'm humble, God, people are saying all these wrong things about me. None of them are true, but I'm going to keep a posture of humility. I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to be prideful. I'm not going to do any of these things. I'm going to stay in this posture. And what's going to happen? The Lord will go and fight for you. He will supernaturally start to change people's hearts most of the time. Why? Because you are in a posture of humility. But I want to ask, have you been there? Have you got to that point in your life? Because the reality of it is, is that if this is the world and if this is God, I'm going to say that a lot of you are still towing this line right here because the statistics show it. So I'm just going to say this. You're looking at things you shouldn't look at on social media. You're playing games that you shouldn't be playing from the app store. Trust me. I've seen some of those things. That choices crap, sorry, it's not supposed to say crap. I said it twice. That choices game that's out there, horrible. Get rid of that junk. Um, but things like that, what are you watching on TV? What are you listening to? You're still keeping one leg in the world and you're trying to keep one leg in the kingdom things because you're going to church and stuff. Going to church to worship is about like saying, I'm going go to I'm gonna go to bed and sleep. It's a natural thing. You're going to come here and worship if your heart's in the right place, just like you're going to go to bed and sleep. But is this changing your life? Is it changing what you do on the other six days of the week? If it's not, maybe you've not got to a place to be truly humbling yourself. I want to encourage you to go home and think about that tonight. Go home and ask yourself, have I submitted my life to you? If you have, but you're not continuing to be in a posture of humility, Open up your Bible. Start to ask questions of God. You want wisdom? Ask. That's some good godly kingdom stuff that if you really seek out wisdom, God's going to give you that before He's going to give you the Corvette. I guarantee that. Those are the things where your heart is starting to line up with Him. And when it does, there's no end to what God will do in your life. But starts with you will you be in a posture of humility for god to use you let's pray